Hello listeners, it's Ryan with a quick little announcement before we get started. Back in 2015, Professor Alan Middleton told me that Michael Bradley was the nicest man in podcasting. If anybody had any reason to doubt that, I submit as evidence that totally out of the blue and unsolicited, Michael created a Fire and Water Records profile on Spotify, and there he has created playlists for just about every show we've done. That means if you have a Spotify account, you can head on over to the website or use your mobile app to check out all of the songs that Neil and I discuss on this episode, as well as like 95% of the songs covered on all of the previous episodes. There are a few that aren't available to stream on Spotify, unfortunately. Even if you don't have a Spotify Premium account, which is the paid service, even if you don't, you can still download the app for free and listen for free. The only downside, if you don't have a paid account, you will have commercial advertisements that play like every 15 or 30 minutes. Also, the playlists are on shuffle on the free version, and that can't be changed. Also, also, Spotify likes their playlists to be at least 20 songs, I think, and most of our shows run short of that, so Spotify's algorithm picks however many additional songs and adds them to the list. And since it's on shuffle, there's a chance that you might hear one of those songs and think, I don't remember Ryan and Rick Heineken talking about that song. Anyway... This is still super, super cool, and I want to thank Michael Bradley so much. I know a lot of listeners, and a few of the guests have suggested I do something like this, and I tap-danced around it because I used to have a Spotify account and I got rid of it, but lo and behold, Michael took the initiative himself and shared this with me, and it is amazing. Thank you so much to him. Understand this is still developing. I'm not sure how easy it is to search for these playlists using Spotify's regular search function, but I will be sure to include a link to the playlists in the show notes on every episode. All right, enjoy the show. In late 1995, I'm lying on the couch watching MTV before school, and a brand new video comes on. The VJ announces that it's the latest single from the Goo Goo Dolls, and the song is called Name. Even though the song was the third single from the band's album, A Boy Named Goo, this was the first that I had heard of the band. Or wait, no, it wasn't. My mind clicked back a couple of years earlier to the AIDS relief alt-rock collection No Alternative, which you can hear more about on a previous episode of Fire & Water Records. That album featured Goo Goo Dolls doing a rocking cover version of the Rolling Stones song, Bitch. I liked that song, but I hadn't heard anything else from the band since. Okay, bring on the new song. I'm ready. And the video starts, and it's in black and white, and it's a soft acoustic kind of pop song. Now, besides being the opposite of what I expected, there was nothing wrong with the song. In fact, it was very catchy, very beautiful, with an unusual guitar tuning that created a very distinctive and memorable sound. But I was still confused, because the lead singer was... white. And the singer of the bitch cover was definitely not. Unless this was another goddamn Rick Astley situation. Eventually, I would learn that the voice I heard on bitch belonged to a guest singer named Lance Diamond. More on him later in this episode. 
while the singer on name was the band's emerging singer and frontman Johnny Resnick. And eventually I would pick up the album A Boy Named Goo after their fifth and final single dropped. And eventually, the Goo Goo Dolls would become one of my favorite bands of the 90s, spawning one of my favorite and most frequently played rock albums of that decade. In October of 2012, Billboard published their list of the top 100 pop songs from 1992 to 2012. Goo Goo Dolls was the only band to place three hit singles on the list, including the number one spot, and all three in the top 25. One of those three was Name. So I guess I was right to take notice of them when I did. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fire and Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me again is my semi permanent co host, my brother, Neil Daly. What's up, man? Hey, dude, how you doing? You know, I really got to, after listening to your intro, which was great, by the way, I got to start reading your text more carefully, because I thought we were doing a Go-Go's episode. <laughs> Shame on me. Scramble, scramble. What can you say about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'll wing it. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, well, uh, yeah, well, wing it right now. What can you tell me about the Goo Goo Dolls? <laughs> when and well, how did you meet them? Well, uh, you know this story. I, I, I know that, well, okay, Goo Goo Dolls I actually got into and like became a fan because of you. But let me backtrack a little bit, because uh, that was in 98. And I'm going to go back kind of around the same time you did. So 1995, MTV's 120 Minutes was like the staple of late night uh, alternative rock music. That was what gave us the window into the alternative rock scene. And I remember... I remember, and you and I both probably remember, you know, patiently waiting because that's where you debut the new Smashing Pumpkins single or the mm-hmm. new Pearl Jam single or the new Nirvana. So that was like, that was must-see TV for us, especially in those early 90s years. Um, it was on at either like 11 at night or midnight or something, and it was just the coolest thing. And they had multiple hosts for a while. Uh, I think Matt Pinfield was on it for a little while. But what I remember was a VJ named Kennedy. Do you remember Kennedy? Yep, I do. Okay. Uh, from what I gather, and I remember, I don't know when exactly this started or how I first discovered it, but Johnny Resnick, lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, was dating Kennedy. And the song name, she claims, was about her. Now, I don't know if he's ever confirmed that, so I'm not going on record and saying this is proof positive, but I think that's a very interesting story that around the time that he was, they were circling, because God, I mean, when that came out, here's the weird thing about the Goo Goo Dolls, and I, I don't mean to kind of blabber on and on about this, but they were unlike most of the bands that we discovered in the 90s, which had breakout smash hits. The Goo Goo Dolls had five albums before they became a popular name. <laughs> it was it's, it's literally the opposite of everything that we knew about rock music. This was a slow burn burning band that kind of grew up they played garage punk you yeah. know in buffalo a very blue collar um you know kind of thing and they sounded like their albums sounded a lot like for those people those of you that are fans of the green day albums remember the first two eps that they had before dookie yep. you could tell you could tell the recordings were just not very good mm-hmm. they were very like grot you know like they probably banged it out in three or four days kind of thing the Goo Goo Dolls first couple albums were like that now to answer your question I had heard of the band because they had had a couple singles. I'd heard of the album Superstar Car Wash and and, uh, a couple others that made their names. But much like you, Name was the song that kind of launched them into the stratosphere. 
And we can talk a lot more about a lot uh, that changed the formula of where they went from there. You know, it was the, I mean, they lost a drummer recording mm-hmm. that album because he didn't want to play pop songs. He didn't want to play acoustic songs. And then there was this whole issue, which we can get into later about how the original singer was the bass player, Robbie, yep. because Johnny Resnick was head stage fright and he was insecure and didn't want to sing. So there's this weird sort of thing that I, I can't wait to get into this discussion with you, but to come full circle it was actually in 1998 and i was home visiting i think for christmas and you had gone out and gotten a couple cds for christmas that year i want to say madonna ray of light i think and and uh dizzy up the girl which no i'm I'm gonna correct because i know i know for a fact that i got ray of light the same time i got marilyn manson's mechanical animals yeah Okay. Okay. You were playing uh, an album by the Goo Goo Dolls, and it, had, it was Dizzy Up the Girl, which was, I think, their sixth album at that time. Mm-hmm. But it had the big song Iris, which we'll talk about. But you played it in its entirety, kind of in the background. I think we were playing Super Nintendo or something. And I just remember that was one of those albums that I was like, wow, every song's good. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, I, at first listen, I didn't want to skip over any tracks. So I was kind of like, okay, this I have to pay more attention to. And then. As you know, then I started, re- you know, we started seeing their videos more often and Johnny changed his look and had like the glam rock haircut, which, by the way, I loved and I stole. I, I freely admit that I took Johnny Resnick's haircut for a while in, in the 2000s. But um, that was it. So honestly, I'd heard of the band before and you got me into them. So this is kind of <laughs> this is kind of like the first, you know, it's taken us, you know, I don't know, a dozen podcasts before you finally introduced me to something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but uh it's yeah, yeah this was I, I credit you for this because then once I saw them and once I got into their catalog and then once I started seeing them live, damn, they're they're a damn good band. Yeah, and again like I I think I think I was primed to like this band a little bit and we've mentioned this before because they were heavily influenced and their sound was was a lot like the replacements in Paul Westerberg. Yep. Um, and uh, like that was, I, I mean, just we going back to what we've talked about on previous ones. When I listened to that single soundtrack, it was really, it was the two Paul Westerberg songs that really jumped out at me and I became a fan of the replacements and, and that sound. And, and, and Goo Goo Dolls just seemed like a little bit more, a little bit more clean, a little bit more polished. They didn't quite have the punk edge, at least not what I was hearing by the time sure. they got yeah. to um, a, goo goo, a, a boy named Goo. And and you're right, they definitely had that evolution. And I think you can see, like, as Johnny became more comfortable and as he emerged as the lead singer, the songwriting took a turn, um, yeah. I, I think, for the better. And definitely they, their success was launched based on that. Yeah. Well, I think I think this is, this is going to be a fun discussion because there will be detractors of this podcast that will say that, you know, one they started writing commercial hits they lost their punk credibility and mm-hmm. they, they, you know and they sold out and all this stuff and you know we'll address those comments as as we go into each individual song you know there's certainly some there's certainly an argument to be made about that but at the same time Johnny Resnick personally has publicly spoken about that and said I wanted to be rich. I wanted, I wanted <laughs> he said, he said on VH1 storytellers, you know, we played for, for five years, we played shows where it was all guys with their shirts off and shaved heads beating each other up. And he's like, once we recorded a pop song name, all of a sudden we had girls come to the shows and he's like, I didn't want to let go of that. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, he's, he's also, but you know, publicly championed for, for Paul Westerberg too, even recruiting him to help him write a song once. So yeah. the influences are absolutely there. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, so uh, kind of the staple of this podcast, uh, we're just going to go through some of our favorite tracks. We're not going to hit all of them, um, but we're going to hit a bunch, uh, and we'll just kind of take our turns. So uh, starting off, I am going to lead us off with uh, their fifth and final single from A Boy Named Goo. This is the song Long Way Down. Oh, here you are. It, but I have the distinct memory of watching this video on 120 minutes, uh, and, and I remember I think they said that it wasn't just their new single from from that album, but it was also a tie-in because it was also in the, the soundtrack to the 1996 movie Twister, the tornado. That's one. Right, it was. So that's right. Yeah, the video kind of like tied into that, um, and I just remember watching it, and like I had heard Name, and I had heard uh, Naked, which we'll talk about next. But once I heard this one, I was like. I want to buy this album. Like, this was the thing that sealed the deal for me. It was actually mm-hmm. hearing this one. I waited this long. And then yep. I was like, I, I, okay, they, there's three really good songs coming out of this band. And I already liked their, their older song from No Alternative. I was like, I'm going to check these guys out. Cause it, before then, I had just, I was content to listen to them on the radio or watching them on, on TV. And actually, that was, that was something. I mean, this was really a, of an era where, most of what I was discovering in terms of new stuff was MTV. Sure. I was not listening to a lot of radio at this point in time because oh, no. yeah. I was we I was either all building my own CD collection and we had cars that had CD players or you know down mm-hmm. like we had a CD player in every room in the house between you and me and Dad <laughs> or so like I always had that available to listen to my music. Plus, this was the era of the mixtapes. You were you were giving you were feeding me mixtapes every six yeah. months with a bunch of new stuff that I was keeping in rotation. So I was just never listening to the radio to hear new music. It was whatever there was. It was whatever was on in the morning, like before I went to school, or it was 120 minutes. That was what I was checking out. This song, though, for a long way down, I really, really liked it more than the other two because it was more guitar-driven. There was more of an aggressive rock sound that reminded me of the cover of Bitch, um, mm-hmm. and, and that was kind of what I wanted to hear. So that got me into the album. Um, and I, you know, it's just it's a it's a good one. I just love it. I love the bridge when he says, "Take another part of me, give my mind a new disease." You know that that melody, that part of it. I, I just really dig. Um, and a funny little, I don't know if it is funny. It might be more embarrassing now. But I just remember in high school when we used to drive like during lunch, if we ever we drove out to to go pick up lunch or something like that, um, we would be in like either Drew's car, or JT's car. And we would use the the melody of the long way down, but we would shout wherever our destination was. We'd be like Taco Bell or or KFC, <laughs> no, that is funny. Yeah, Burger King, and something. I don't. I, it was it was dumb, but it was just we would sing the song and and implant whatever 
restaurant we were going to to get lunch. Oh my god, I could totally see that. Um, yeah, well, this is this is cool. You know, going. I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on the the 120 minutes kind of thing too because I re- I remember seeing actually what's funny is right around this time in like 90s. What I remember about seeing, I think when Name debuted and then and then this. You know, all these singles came from the same album, mm-hmm. and it was really, but it was weird because they were never like Name was the only radio hit that I remember at the time. I started listening to K Rock, and that was like the greatest alternative rock radio station. I was working at the gym at the time at Gold's Gym, so we had it on in the background. So I was—that's the only way I was able to discover like radio music. Like you said, you know, the, otherwise, aside from that, I wasn't at home listening to the radio. I wasn't in the car listening to the radio. So that was it. But the one thing I remember about this band, and maybe it was because of the Kennedy connection, she was kind of you know promoting her boyfriend's band and stuff like that which i didn't know at the time mm-hmm. but you know i i do remember them saying you know they were kind of saying like every time like a song by the Goo, Goo dolls would be played on 120 minutes they would kind of say this is a band that you've got to know if like if you're an insider if you're if you're an alternative rock or an indie rock enthusiast you have to know this band because they'd had so many albums before that so it kind of made me feel like well i don't want to be a poser and just be you know i don't want to just go like be like oh yeah the song name it, it's by the guy that looks like evan dando from the Lemonheads, you know <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So, so it was it was you know it was like you kind of like they made you feel like this band was like this had street cred you know what i mean mm-hmm. this was like a band with like some street cred like they were they'd been around for a little while and stuff um so yeah so i i like the song i'm glad you chose it i do remember it was in twister i forgot about that until now um i think that what, one of the things about the song that i liked which i think will well, God, honestly, it's kind of a staple of almost all the 90s music that we liked. But this song is very, it's very subtly about heroin addiction. And they have a number of songs that deal with a lot of that stuff. And it's unfortunate that almost any almost any band we could talk about from the 90s probably had some sort of, you know, we could segue into a tangent about, about heroin addiction. But there's a lot of lyrics in this song that don't overtly and, and, you know, it's not crystal clear, but there's hints to it. And I always thought the song was kind of, you know, I, that's the way I interpreted it, even though it had this hard, aggressive rock tone that wasn't even grunge. It was just like rock, you know, straight up rock. But I, I always kind of like like the subtleties about about drug addiction and stuff. All right. What do you got? Okay, I'm going to go with a song from the same album, and I think it might be my second favorite Goo Goo Dolls song of all time. I'm going to go with Naked, the fourth single from the same album, Boy Named Goo. So, so Naked, I remember when this debuted too on, on like MTV and I remember the video for it. And honestly, it was one of those. Do you remember? Do you remember? Okay, this is a weird segue. Do you remember how Prince did a couple videos from the same set from like from 1999, like Little Red Corvette 1999? They were all like sexuality and controversy. They were all shot on the same set. He oh, probably yeah, shot yeah, them yeah. the same day. Yeah. 
this band, I I kind of felt like a lot of their videos were done the same way. There was like, <laughs> so I felt like they had the same soundstage, which was like just it looked like pet, the like a faded Jackson Pollock painting, and just these weird images. But they were almost dressed the same and wearing <laughs> the same outfits in the same stage. And it was like, I mean, maybe they had just the same director or something. But it just, I don't know. The video was not very memorable. But the one thing I loved about the song, and we've talked about this weird sort of anomaly in other podcasts. The album version of the song was different than the video, different than the radio mix that was released. And in order to get that in on K-Rock out here in L.A., they were playing this alternate version of it, which had it opened with Johnny Resnick playing solo guitar, the electric. And it was like a broken down, no band, just him playing the first verse solo. And then all of a sudden the band came in and then he did the first verse over again and all this stuff but the album version of this just kind of started with the full band coming in and it was really weird and this was you know again i only referenced that because that was one of the cool things that made us feel like we were the cool kids or we were in the club or something like we had to we had to track down these bootlegs or imports or or you know these alternate versions of things which made it i had to go to these like alternative record stores and find like in penny lane and in westwood out here to track down these things which were really cool because i always knew i could impress the hell out of you if i sent you like an alternate version of a song that you couldn't get on the album it, it was like you know it would just kind of like keep me on that pedestal <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <kind of> <laughs> but anyway this song i just loved the catchiness of it i loved i loved the fact that even like as as hard rocking and electric as the guitar part is in the chorus it's not power chords it's different than the grunge bands were playing he's like arpeggiating the strings he's playing each string independently if you listen to the chorus it, it's still just a rock and distorted rock song but I, I, it's it's catchy as hell. And I think this was, again, we've talked about, you already mentioned name. This was kind of the evolution of the band now kind of graduating to when Robbie was writing songs and playing and being the lead singer in the early days. And he still does songs on a lot of their albums. He'll do like one or two, but they were stripped. They were two minute punk songs. You know, they were all yeah. like straight out of the like Dead Kennedys or, or the, um, or the replacements or, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But this was where all of a sudden Johnny started to write these amazingly catchy rock songs. And this song grabbed me to quote Ryan Daly. The song had me at jump. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, you mentioned that some people would say, you know, they kind of, they sold out or they lost their street cred when they sort of evolved and, and they became less of a, a punk band. But I, I mean, I would argue, I mean, I've heard their early stuff, their punk stuff. I mean, the Robbie Takak-led songs, they don't do a whole lot for me. Me too. I, and as a punk band, I think they, I mean, I ultimately, I think, I mean, their their albums would have been forgettable and they never would have broken out and they wouldn't have distinguished themselves if they hadn't evolved and if Johnny hadn't become such a, a prolific writer at a particular type of pop rock sort of power ballad but sort of like uh, this this clean uh you know it's i mean it's the type of song that we're going to keep talking about throughout sure, this episode because sure, sure, it's it's it, I, but i think it's it's their particular niche yes uh, yeah. and, and it's it might be a little bit on the narrow side because i definitely think there's a lot of repetition to some of their hits yeah uh, and, and we'll come about that but it's i mean it it does it. it. It works, and it, it made them a signature band. It, it it is their. It is kind of what defines them and and makes them memorable. Because if it had just stayed in, 
I don't think they would have left Buffalo if they hadn't done that. So Well, true, true. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think one of the things that I think that they fell victim to is this very small town minded thing where you feel like if you go out and achieve more, you're going to be frowned upon in your inner circle where you came from. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, they struggled with like it's to me, it's see to, to us on the outside, we're objective observers. It's like, you idiot. Why would you care what people in your small town of Buffalo think when you could, you know, whatever. But when you're in that circle, it's harder to do. It's hard to get away with it, you know. And I just think, like you said, you know, I think that Johnny Resnick kind of exposed himself. And I'll even talk about this coming up, too, with, like, the drastic and amazing insecurities he has as a writer, which led mm-hmm. him to, like, frequent writer's block and, and therapy sessions and stuff. But last thing I'm going to say about this is I can't ever consider somebody a sellout for writing and crafting a great song. You know what I mean? If your song becomes a commercial hit and everybody identifies with it and people love it, you're not a sellout. You know, you you like that's. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't see how you did. So yeah, and the, yeah. The the one other thing about this song that I noticed when I was listening to it again is this. I I think sort of sort of foreshadows like uh, some of the more hits because even though it's like it's a good rock song with a great rock solo in the middle, um, it it kind of previews a little bit of that slightly electronic drum sound like yep. you feel like they're playing with um, drum machines and loops and was that decision made after their their <laughs> original drummer George Tatuska decided to leave or maybe did, did that cause him to leave uh, I, I don't know yeah yeah that's that's a really good question because he was he was gone before the tour of this album uh, all right so my next one uh, I we need to get the, this the elephant out of the room this is their you know <laughs> biggest hit and everything we gotta mention this one so uh, to get it out of the way my next song is Iris. And I give up forever to touch you Cause I know that you feel me somehow You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be And I don't wanna go home right now And all I could taste is this moment And all I can breathe is your life Later, it's over. I just don't want to miss you tonight. And I don't want the world to see me. Cause I don't think that they'd understand. Where everything's made to be broken. I just want you to know. Uh, this is the song that was number one on the aforementioned Billboard list of best pop songs from 1992 to 2012. This song spent 17 weeks at number one on oh Billboard's adult top 40 list. Oh my um, god! So uh, yeah, I mean everybody has heard this one, and and they probably know the story. This was originally recorded for the soundtrack to the Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan movie City of Angels. Uh, and it was such a huge monster hit then that they decided to include it on their next album, Dizzy Up the Girl. Uh, and despite the song's popularity and its success, and it's a really, really good song, it just barely cracks my top five songs from that album, Dizzy. So Interesting. We'll talk, yeah, me too. We'll talk more about that later. Like the song named before, this is an acoustic-driven kind of rock ballad. The guitar has this very unusual tuning, which gives it this <laughs> this sound that you instantly identify. 
and it's very catchy. Uh, the song was produced by uh, Rob Cavello, who is the music producer of the movie. And it, like, look this thing up. You go to like Wikipedia or some other website or something. He did a ton of crazy rearrangements of the guitars for this song. Yep. He brought in other session musicians, uh, studio guys to play some of the guitar parts, the mandolin parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a ton of stuff. And in one sense, that kind of makes me feel like this is more of a studio-produced song than a creation of the bands. Uh, and that would kind of knock it down and say it's kind of like artificially created greatness. Sure. However... I I think that unfairly robs them of their musicianship, um, and especially it leaves out the important part that Johnny Resnick brought. And if you know, uh, you mentioned like Johnny did not know how to handle the success of a boy named Goo. No, not at all. Once they once they broke out, he was already insecure, and you'll you'll talk more about that. But he already didn't know what to do with this fame, and he would freeze up. And there was a three year gap between a boy named Goo and Dizzy Up the Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this uh, song came just with the movie earlier than that. Um, I think they released like a five song EP in the middle of that, but it was mostly, if not all, covers um, or, or uh, alternate versions or something like that. I don't think there was a lot of stuff. He just he couldn't write. He was frozen. He was just kind of like freaking out. Um, and then they they brought in uh, they brought him in to to see. Uh, um, a preview, a screening of this movie to help him write something for it. And somehow, for whatever it was, it was this movie and the story of Nicolas Cage's character, this angel who was willing to forego his own immortality just to be with a woman that he has fallen in love with. And that little hook inspired Johnny and, and he, he wrote this song as, as a narrative from that perspective with somebody who is willing to sacrifice everything that is important, everything about his life in order to be with the person that means so much. Because of that, the, the endearing love, that, that romantic angle just, you know, cracked through. It, it shattered his, his block and it became the smash hit. And he, I mean, that, that kind of opened the floodgates because it, it became like this, the, the fuel and the inspiration for so much of the writing that went on to Dizzy. And the, the template. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a template because this song definitely, you, they, they have done clones of this yeah. song since then. <laughs> yeah. We will talk about some of them. Yeah, they have. They I mean, have. This, this wasn't just their best, this wasn't just their number one hit. This was the, the song that kind of defined their career since 1998. Yeah. Um, I mean, you summed up just about everything. Here, I want to, I want to add a little bit of context to a couple of things you said, which I just think are funny. Um, Johnny has said before that um, the tuning of the guitar was an accidental thing because he had two broken strings. And <laughs> he said, so he tried to tune the, like the two high strings. I think the high E and the B were broken. So he only had like bass strings to the guitar or something like that. And he just said, basically, so he just tuned it to like a D and a B. Every song, every string was a D and a B. And he just did it so he could, which is, by the way, we didn't talk about this before, and I don't want to get too much into it, but Name also was famous because it had an alternate tuning, yeah. which Johnny was famous. He has publicly said that he doesn't think he's a good guitar player. And so what he did was he would tune to an open chord and then just play the bass notes uh, while the rest of the strings ring out the whole chord. So mm. that kind of thing, which, you know, if that's that's true, that's very interesting. This is so to go back to this song. This I think that's funny that this has a very difficult tuning, which makes it almost impossible 
impossible to play for cover artists like me. I remember trying to play this, figure it out on my own as on an acoustic guitar being like, it doesn't sound right. And it's because he, <laughs> he tuned it so weird. Uh, and it also, it, it, it dabbled in weird things that shouldn't work, which they used multiple times. But like the mandolin intro is like in three, four time or something, or no, it's in four, four time like standard time for a time signature for music. And then the core, the verse goes into like three, four time. It's like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Like it's weird. Those you, you're not supposed to change time signatures in the middle of a song. So there were weird things about that. I also heard that Johnny only agreed to do this soundtrack because U2 was on it and Alanis Morissette and Peter Gabriel. And he thought, he thought like, well, my song will get buried at the end. So I, you know, whatever. And he saw the screening, like you said, um, he said he didn't think it was all that great a movie, but he loved the story. And I guess it's a it's a rehash of like a, a like an old black and white movie called Wings of Desire or something like that. That he said, um, but he was familiar with the story. But like, kind of like what you said, everything that you said, I think that you know whether or not this is studio crafted and God knows the orchestra being in there gives it an element of lift. You know, there's certainly a lot to the fact that there's a 40 piece orchestra playing with this with this song that gives it power when you hear it. But I think that's cheap. That's t- that's taken away from the the true credit, which is Johnny's lyrics. I mean, this was one of those. You know, we I'm I'm familiar with a lot of artists contributing songs to soundtracks that are usually just a song they have that they didn't want to put on an album you know that that was kind of a common thing this is one of those rare occasions where somebody wrote a song to the movie that they saw and that was you know there's a lot of credit to go with that and i think that helped he said that that helped break him out of his writer's block because it was finally he was able to write a song not from his own first person perspective he was able to write about something he saw which helped open the floodgates like you said which you know again i just think is amazing and we'll get into a lot of the other things you know the writer's block and how this blossomed into so much of their future career there's the i mean this changed everything for them this was a game changer and you know like you mentioned i mean the fact that it's number one uh on so many lists is is a is is a true testament to the fact that this was these were three guys from a blue collar dive bar hole in the wall suburb of new york you know kind of thing so in the early 2000s i think one summer i was working as a painter and i worked with this woman who had the city of angels soundtrack and it was the type of thing that she liked so she played this a lot now by that point i I'd, I'd heard iris plenty uh so because otherwise it probably would have been the thing where if she played this so much i would have been sick of the song and never would have bought the album <laughs> um so she yeah she played the the soundtrack to city of angels uh, a lot and the reason that i bring that up is because as you mentioned there is a peter gabriel song on it called i grieve and I just know that I really, really liked that song, so I got an album of his that had that song, and the album version is different than the soundtrack <laughs> version. <laughs> it was one of those alternate takes things that you mentioned. I was like, damn it, I like the soundtrack version better, but I don't want to buy that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I would be remiss, though, if I didn't mention, and I've already kind of tiptoed around the subject, but the key thing that got me into this video, because unfortunately, this was like one of those videos you couldn't escape yeah, you know, for yeah. a while, so it kind of makes you resent of the song a lot like under the bridge from the red hot chili peppers mm-hmm. you know a couple years earlier a great song that's just ruined by being overplayed but the one thing about this video that honestly i fell in love with johnny's haircut the moment i saw this video <laughs> it was something different than everybody else in 90s rock and roll which all had these like completely purposefully unkempt 
an unstyled, you know, like Kurt Cobain, just grow it out. Don't use product. Don't, you know, whatever. There was just this thing that everybody did because they were like, no, we're too cool to put product in our hair. And then all of a sudden Johnny Resnick comes out in this video with like a shag haircut. It's shorter. It's, it's like messy. It's textured and he's got long bangs. And it's just, I was like, dude, I fell in love with this hair from that moment on. All right, where do we go from there? <laughs> okay, next song I'm going to go, I'm going to jump forward to their next album after uh, Dizzy Up the Girl, uh, Gutterflower. And I'm going to talk about Big Machine. Ecstasy is all you need, living in the big machine now. Oh, you're so vain. Now your world is way too fast. Nothing's real and nothing lasts and mentioned that you know first of all what's rare what's what's weird is this guy who's completely open about his insecurities and feeling like he has lacking talent and he doesn't know how long it's going to last and every time he has a hit he's like oh my god i'll never repeat this sequence i'll never repeat the success so i'm going to go into a hole and hide and dizzy up the girl was a bigger hit than a boy named goo and gutterflower now i'm not going to don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was a bigger hit than Dizzy Up the Girl, but it was equally good in terms of the the quality of the music on the album. It's one of those albums where there's a lot of really good songs on it. So it's it's pretty amazing that, you know, for a guy that's so insecure, he cranks out hit after hit after hit. So Big Machine, I like this song. I always like this song. Johnny called it his disco song <laughs> because he wrote <laughs> it apparently after like one random night watching Saturday Night Fever. And uh, he, I think that I, I even think the, the, the demo, his original demo was called like Hollywood disco or something. But what I liked about this was it reminds me of a smashing pumpkins, cherub rock kind of song where he's literally like calling out the industry that he's a part of, you know, that fuels the machine that he's a part of and making money off of. But the song was about, you know, the success of fame and how it changes people. And he had moved to LA at this point. And after the success of dizzy up the girl, he was dating some high profile girls. You know, he had gone, he was publicly linked to a number of people, models, actresses, etc. And it's really weird. Cause the song is, if you strip away the music to it, which is just a fun rock, it's a, it's a, you know, it's got a tambourine throughout the whole thing. It's very disco, but lyrically, the song is very much calling out LA and kind of, you know, it's, it's, I just found it fascinating that somebody that's reaping the spoils of fame and fortune is still unafraid to call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I like this song a ton. It's one of my favorite songs from Gutterflower. And Gutterflower was also my last Goo Goo Dolls album that I got. Mm. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I think like right around the time I got you into them, I started kind of like 
fit transitioning out. Um, and part of it, part of it, like I was, I was in college and it, during the time that this came out, and I just started finding more other stuff. I started going into like other like uh, older singer songwriter stuff, like Tom Waits. Yeah. So you were like, if Neil likes us now, it must not be cool. <laughs> oh, the things that had changed by that. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah yeah i i, I did like it um it, but at this point i always kind of see i was like okay this is good this but there there was almost i i didn't I, i'm trying to i don't this this is going to sound like more of a negative but it's more of just sort of continuing the theme that i felt like this album sounded a little bit too much like dizzy mm-hmm. or i i wasn't feeling a lot of growth Understood. With the band, okay, and and I just kind of felt like I was like, okay, they've 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 found their sound, and that's good. But if it's not, if they're not expanding, I was like, I, I enjoy it. I liked all the singles, and even though this was the last album I got, I continued to listen to the singles that mostly you gave me or you yeah, put sure. in front of me for their later albums, and I liked them all. I thought these are just good. These are great, great little hooks. And by that point, I was also able to like make my own playlist because all of my music was being digitized by then. Sure. Uh, so I was just making my own playlist, and I didn't have to have like the the uh, the uh, physical albums anymore. Right. So yeah, you know, the last thing I'll say about this, I think you're, you know, first of all, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you or uh, you know argue the point that you're wrong about this. I think I did see growth in in Gutterflower much more so than I think that your your opinion was probably a little bit early for like some of their later albums then after that did kind of show like okay now they're rehashing the same formula um Mm -hmm. but i did see like a lot of you know some i thought that it was cool because now they're writing an album based on they're rich and famous and so how they're dealing with it so their perspectives have changed and stuff and johnny had you know he'd gone through divorce and he'd gone through you know all these other issues people that have you know etc we'll get into some of the other stuff later the personal stuff later on but um you're not wrong you're not wrong. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I've heard this criticism of, oh God, like Matchbox 20. Yeah. You know, I've, say, I've, I've heard people say like, well, they hate the fact that he just keeps writing like pop hits. Well, but that's what he does. That's what he's good mm-hmm. at, you know? So it's kind of like, okay, you know, the thing that made him famous, and then this goes for celebrity, you know, fandom and stuff. People knock you off. You know, it's like they, they, they kind of always want them to be like the underappreciated grunge rock or a punk rock band that had no success and then when they became successful and were writing about their success people wanted to turn on them so you're right. not wrong I, I i still think Gutterflower was a much more appreciated album than a lot of other people gave it credit for all right then uh for my next one i'm actually going to go back a couple of years um this is track two from the band's third album hold me up from 1990 the song just the way you are I'm in love because I know you And I'm sorry I don't show you And if I find that you ain't by me Pray no one know the things you see How could you believe in someone sorry said like me I 
All right. I wanted something to represent kind of the band's early years um, before A Boy Named Goo, because uh, as we said, A Boy Named Goo was their fifth album. They had four albums. And I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't heard the first two, I don't think, <laughs> ever. Um, I, I just kind of know just hearing, hearing like a few songs. Like, there, yeah, well, these I, are- let me just jump in for a second. I have heard them just because I felt like I had to at a certain point, <laughs> and they're not memorable. But uh, so, uh, but I did. I ended up listening to Hold Me Up and then um, Superstar Car Wash. Uh, and I wanted to pick a song from one of those two, and I came very close. And, and we were talking about this beforehand. I almost picked the song "We Are the Normal" from <laughs> right. Superstar Car Wash because that was the song that was the lyrics were written by Paul Westerberg. Right. Uh, Johnny reached out to him because they were influenced by that. He was a big fan, and he, he had written this um, he had written this song musically, and he, and he basically sent the tape to Paul Westerberg and asked him to contribute the lyrics. And it's a good song, but when I listened to it, I was like, "This, this song is like this sounds like a replacement song." <laughs> it sounds like Johnny is doing a Paul Westerberg impression. Yeah, it totally does. Um, but this one I wanted a little bit more, and this was me backfilling. This was actually after after I heard Dizzy Up the Girl. Um, I was like, okay, what did these guys have before then? So I kind of I, I went back and checked out these albums. Um, and they're fine. I don't think they're as good as, you know, uh, as A Boy Named Goo or Dizzy or Gutterflower. I think those three albums in a row yeah. are, are really the best of the band. True, true, very um, true. Um, but there's some there's some good stuff. I mean, it, but this album from Hold Me Up, I, as we were kind of talking about, like half of this album is uh, Robbie on on vocals mm-hmm. and everything like this. Like this is still at that point where they haven't. Uh, who is the front man? Who is the lead singer? Yeah, yeah. You, you might argue that it was more Robbie at that point. But yeah, it's just I, I, I like the song. It's got an older sound that kind of repla- it reminds me of the replacements a little bit. Just like like sort of post CBGB's punk that was kind of out there in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, they they. I mean, they played CBGB's probably a dozen times during the during the the early, late eighties, early nineties. It's weird to think of this band starting in the early eighties yeah. or the late eighties. Isn't that shocking? Like you just don't think of it. Like I remember by the time that they by the time that they were. I mean, it's so funny that you talk about going back to find this album. You know, I mean, this is a band that's still cranking out hits nowadays. I mean, maybe they're not as commercially popular or whatever, and they're still doing heritage tours. Um, but it's like they're older than you think. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which, again, to their credit, they had put in the work. I mean, it wasn't like they were this, like, hot out of the gate, you know, superstars. I mean, yeah, gosh, they had they, they had been together for 10 years before, you know, they were, like, hitting, like, their, their real, their, their, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they're hitting their stride. I, th- I think I think I think I would even say to that to to listeners, if, if people are still listening and they're still along for this journey right now, um, I would I would actually say. That alone, whether or not you're a Goo Dolls fan, you got to give them credit. You got to give them, you got to give, you got to tip your hat to them in respect because they, like you said, they put in the fucking work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, to get to where they are. So love them or hate them or think they're just, you know, think they're just like a, you know, a, a novelty act now or whatever. They're like, oh yeah, they just wrote VH1 songs, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Dude, they put in the work, man. They worked their ass off to get to where they are. All right, where do we go from there? Okay, I'm going to go back to another another of the uh, Boy Named Goo songs because that album was just phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to go with Ain't That Unusual. Could you talk to me?
this song. So I love this. This song was a struggle for me. I almost didn't put this on my list because I knew that we were only going to pick a handful. And there was another song that I had in place that I swapped out at the last minute because I did want, I didn't want this, you know, you and I did a Rick Springfield podcast where I focused a lot on like his newer releases that are underappreciated. And you focused a lot on his pre success, you know, kind of things. And that formula worked fine because that's what we were interested in. We covered all bases, but I didn't want this, my, my version of this podcast to make it sound like I only like Johnny Rusnick's pop hits with the acoustic guitar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, there were a couple songs that sounded similar. I wanted to go back and pick a song that I, that inspired me as a guitar player back when I first heard it. And this goes, this song perfectly fits kind of like your long way down the way you open the podcast with, you know, this song, it had a great rock guitar riff. It's the same type of guitar playing as Naked, which, by the way, you know, it's it's no surprise that these songs, I like them equally, you know, from the same album. This was the album, you know, we talked about this was the album that drove the drummer away because they started getting more into commercial hits. So even though they were playing a rock riff and a great guitar rock song, you know, he's Johnny started to, you know, kind of open himself up more a little bit as a writer. So he was able to kind of incorporate some romanticism into his lyrics, even in rock songs, which I thought was really cool. So, you know, I don't have a whole lot more to say it, except for I love the lyrics to this song, especially like the, the phrase, because all we are is what we're told. And most of that's been lies. It's like a made for TV movie. And it and I just blew my lines. Mm-hmm. I think that like that's that's so awesome. And it's very it was it was right around the time he started to get very introspective and open himself up to, you know, not writing generic roses are red, violets are blue. You know, you hate me. I love you kind of thing. You know, this um, he, he started to open himself up as a writer. And there's there's power in the lyrics that are hidden by this wall of guitar sound, which I just thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. And the guitar part's catchy as hell. So. That's why I made my list. I I thought about this too, and I picked Long Way Down over this one just because of Long Way Down being like the song that kind of like really just pushed me over the edge of getting them, sure. getting the album, and, and really investing in them. Because uh, if it hadn't been for that, I don't I don't know if we'd be talking about them now. Um, <laughs> True. Probably I probably would have gotten dizzy anyway. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, so yeah, it was between this one and Long Way Down. I think there are a lot of similarities, but definitely with that the guitar sound. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a good rocker, and it's yeah, it's definitely uh, you know they. They, there are certain types of of their sound, like they're these like in these earlier ones, they're just these these fun rock songs, guitar driven. And then you've got like the the quiet acoustic songs, and mm-hmm. then there's those merged songs that kind of like fit into three. So there's like the three categories of the Goo Goo Dolls songs that I like. Yeah, true, true. Which, by the way, the, you know, and if it hasn't come out yet, if it is if it's not blatantly obvious yet, A Boy Named Goo is a fantastic album, and it's just <laughs> it's just for all those reasons, like you said. You know, there's this narrative of these like the biggest hit on the album was an acoustic ballad, yet the songs that we're continuing to talk about are these like amazing catchy rock songs and stuff. So it was, it was the segue between being a punk band to being a commercially successful rock band. All right. From there, let's talk about the transformers. (laughs) Yes, please. Let's. (laughs) All right. My next song is before it's too late. I wandered through fiction. Stood out at 
I, I, I didn't realize you wanted to talk about the Goo Goo Dolls song from that. I just thought you wanted to talk about the Transformers. <laughs> you know what? Okay, okay, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Um, uh, this was the uh, single from the Transformers soundtrack, uh, the the Michael Bay movie from 2007. Uh, this is the love theme for the characters Sam and Michaela, um, played by Shia LaBeouf and the girl that is definitely in his league, <laughs> Megan Fox. <laughs> which, oh boy, when I did the the movie commentary with Rob Kelly, that was he was just like looking at her and was like, "How is are these two people in the same room, let alone the same car?" Um, and this song actually, this this song plays in the movie after Bumblebee first saves them and fights the. Decepticon police car, which is not Prowl. I know. No, don't get me started. On <laughs> the t- the two kids get in the car together, and she's she has to sit on his lap because, of course, Michael Bay would position them that way. Um, and, and yeah, as you kind of joked, right, the the movie soundtrack. It's, there's a great Lincoln Park song at the end. They use Doomsday Clock by the Smashing Pumpkins yes, in the did. movie. <laughs> but this is I I just I always like this one. It's another the it's something about like the guitar sound in this. It's it's. It's not like an aggressive rock song. It is a love song, but it has this electric guitar and there's a slight kind of twanginess to it mm-hmm. um, that it opens up with these chords and these notes that I just, I really dig it. And it's, uh, there's, there's not, it might not be some deep emotional resonance with my appreciation for this band, but just sonically, musically, they write these songs that just get they 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 get stuck in my head yeah. without being earwormy. It's... Yeah, no, no, you're perfect. You're you're absolutely right. Like I, the song I would liken this to is uh, "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing" by Aerosmith, which was in yeah. you know the, yeah. it's like that song is cheesy as hell, but in the context of the movie and where it was placed, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. This song kind of feels the same way. And again, I mentioned this before with uh, with Iris. Um, I respect the fact that Johnny Resnick wrote songs for the soundtrack as opposed to an artist just saying, here's a, I, this is a song I was going to discard. So put it on your soundtrack. You know, this was written for that scene. You know, it's, it's like, do you want to say, do you want to say you had the chance to get in the car or not get in the car kind of thing? That's what the song's about. And Johnny saw a screening and wrote it that way. And I thought it was it's, it's beautiful. It's powerful in the context of where it is. Is it a cheesy love song? Is it a cheesy power ballad? Of course it is. But when it, it fits the movie, I can't imagine another song in that sequence. And and again, it's it's a really weird – It's in terms of construct of the song – Again, Johnny does this thing where it's three-quarter time during the verses, but then goes to traditional four-four time in the chorus. It's it's like he does these really weird abstract type of song structure things that aren't supposed to work. And the only other time I've referenced something like this is like when we talked about Radiohead. It's like mm-hmm. they do things that aren't supposed to work, and they do. The only difference between Radiohead and Goo Goo Dolls is Goo Goo Dolls did it in a way that made it mass appealing. You know, they made it like (laughs) completely commercial. They weren't trying to be weird where Tom York and Radiohead were trying to be weird. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand this. Therefore, it must be art. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Next up. Okay, I'm going to go with probably the shortest song on our list, and therefore my description of it will also be the shortest. It was Acoustic Number 3. They painted up your secrets with the lies they told to you. And the least they ever gave you was 
is the most you ever knew And I wonder where these dreams go When the world gets in your way What's the point in all this screaming? No one's listening anyway Your voice is small and fading And you're hiding here unknown And your mother loves your father Cause she's got nowhere to go And she wonders where these dreams go Cause the world got in her way What's the point in never trying Nothing's changing anyway Now this song, I, you know, honestly, it's it's catchy as hell. I love it. I love it for its simplicity. It's an acoustic guitar and a lyric, and that's the song. And there's no repeating chorus. There's no catchy sing-along epic, you know, crescendo. There's like three verses, and that's it. It's 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 like a Bob Dylan song kind of thing. But it's very for me. I always found it reminiscent of. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, elderly woman behind the counter of a small town by Pearl Jam. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I, I hear this song and I feel like it's a snapshot of a girl's life that he's singing about a girl in an unhappy life. That's trying to get away and can't. And this kind of, it's like, I like, I can almost see a photograph when I hear the lyrics to the song and it's just, it's, it's simple. And this kind of go, the reason I chose this specifically, because there were other songs on my list that I thought were similar, uh, a song from Gutterflower called Sympathy, which, mm-hmm. you know, was a big hit. Mm-hmm. But this song I chose specifically because it goes to the core of what good songwriting is about. And as, as me personally, as a writer, it's like you can play with sonics and you can play with production and you can play with all kinds of things, filler to add to a song. But if the meat and bones aren't there, you know, all you're doing is window dressing on like a burning house. So this is like the one thing I love about this is it's simple, but you get the lyrics when he talks about the, you know, the, the, the every line in the song has a meaning and the, it's simple to play and simple to simple to sing. And I love it. Absolutely love it. I hate when songwriters are too lazy to name their songs. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't call it Untitled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Every band has a song called Untitled. Uh, this is my second favorite song on Dizzy Up the Girl, um, and probably my second favorite Goo Goo Dolls song, period. Mm, mm. Um, I- I've always loved this one for for everything that you just said. I think it's a beautiful, stripped-down song, just that guitar yeah. and, and his voice, with a, a slight kind of background accompanying string arrangement, uh, just to kind of provide backup. And there was... There was this thing going around at the time, and I think it was partially because it was it was probably a reaction to the success of the um, MTV Unplugged series and the and the storyteller sessions that were coming out from MTV and VH1. It seemed like a lot of the albums I was getting at the time had one acoustic song buried in the back, um, and <laughs> right, I always loved right. those songs. They were always some of my favorite. Like um, on the Third Eye Blind album, they had Motorcycle Drive By, which oh, was like the penultimate God, yeah. song, which I loved. Um, God, Holes album, song. Celebrity skin had a song called northern star right. uh, which was just a guitar and i was like these are some of my favorite songs on these albums and it's just the it's just the 
unplugged acoustic, like almost demo sound. Um, we could do and, a podcast of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put a pin in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. And I, I don't have more to add to that other than, I mean, this is just, it's one of my favorites. I, I love the sound. I love the melody. It's just such a pretty sound. Um, probably, yeah, probably my second favorite uh, Goo Doll song. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, uh, the only thing I want to add, I just think it's funny that you mentioned it. I didn't even notice this, but it's, you know, Dave Matthews' band does a lot of the same thing with song mm-hmm. titles, mm-hmm. like Song 41 <laughs> yeah. or, so, you know, whatever. It's like this weird thing. Like, it makes me wonder, like, I, I know I've heard Dave Matthews' band talk about, like, it was like, that's the number of the songs he was writing at the time, and that's why he entitled it that. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes you wonder, like, I would love to be, like, you know, like a famous artist and like put out a, a song and be like song 99 and have it be like absolutely no reference. There were no, there weren't 98 songs before it. Like mm-hmm. just for shits and giggles, <laughs> just be like, like it makes you wonder, was this the third song, the third acoustic song he wrote that he had to call it acoustic number three? Like what did, what did one and two sound like? Yeah. Was it the third version? The third take? I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And what about electric one and two? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, uh, speaking of electric, uh, we're going back a little ways to that album, Hold Me Up. I couldn't not put this song on my list. Um, it is not one of my favorite Goo Goo Dolls songs, but it is one of my favorite songs, period. Um, so we're talking about their cover of Never Take the Place of Your Man. It was only mentioned it often before, but this is my favorite Prince song, um, originally from the album Sign of the Times. Um, and so when I went back and I was looking at uh, the, these old Goo Goo Dolls, I saw that name pout. I was like, they did a version of Never Take the Place of Your Man? I have to hear this. And when I played it, I was like, oh, it's my boy! <laughs> because, <laughs> because the singer for this song is not Johnny Red. It's Lance Diamond. It's Lance Diamond. It's not Johnny. It's not Robbie. It's their guy, Lance Diamond, the singer that they had on their cover of Bitch. Um, and Lance Diamond, I would look him up. He was like a lounge singer and a radio personality from Buffalo. Uh, and the reason that they met him was because his apartment was like right above or right below Robbie's. So like they would tell each other to shut up in the middle of the night when they were both like recording or doing something like. Um, so yeah, they actually they had a bunch of older songs on some of their stuff where they had a bunch of like blues songs and covers of like uh, like other staples and they always brought this guy in to sing some of their cover songs um but yeah it's uh it's never take the place of your man it's my favorite prince song um what uh, maybe top five all-time favorite songs <laughs> um 
this is not my favorite cover version of that song. Um, I would actually credit Ooh, that to really? the Eels have a version, uh, a I've cover never version. Heard that. It's just E with an acoustic guitar and a string section behind him. They did huh. it was it was a live performance and it was like. Um, it was the uh, the encore performance. He came back on to, just to do this song at the end. But the, I mean, it's great. It's it's a it's more of their like old guitar driven punk song. It's a fast version oh, yeah. of the song. Oh yeah. So that's a, that's where I actually w- I would give it credit because here's here's the one thing. First of all, we've talked about you know we could do a whole podcast about you know cover songs and like what it takes to do a good cover song and Put a pin should in it, you we do, will yeah and should you do a cover song and that type of thing. Um, not many people can do a good cover of a Prince song. And it, to be honest with you, I, I recently just saw the Grammy tribute to Prince the other night and I wasn't impressed with a whole lot of it. And for one reason why, and most of it is because these people are trying to do their impression of Prince. And this is why this song stands out for me because the Goo Goo Dolls weren't trying to do Prince. They were trying to do the Goo Goo Dolls playing a Prince song. They kept it original. They kept it in their in their spectrum kind of thing, and I thought yeah. that was really cool. So I give them a lot of credit for that, for being unique, making it original, being their own. Um, and the Goodells have done a number of actually pretty good covers. One of the things I always thought was kind of cool was their like scope of where they find songs from. Like they would do a Prince song, and then they do an In Excess song, and Tom Petty, yeah. and Super Tramp, and Tom, Pete Townsend, and stuff. Like they've they've done covers of the weirdest artists, like and stuff, but. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, like when I found out that they did a Prince cover, the f- I cringed and I was like, "Oh no, please tell me <laughs> you didn't. Don't do that." And then I heard it, and kind of like I, I fall into the same area as you, the same zip code, because I'm like, it's not my favorite Goo Goo Doll song. It's you know, it's certainly it's it's not even the top ten, but. I listened to it and I'm like, good for you guys. If you're going to do a Prince song, make it your own. Yeah. And that's where I'll leave it. All right. Next up. Okay. Next up, I'm going to get to some of their more recent stuff. This is uh, the first, this was the first single from their 2013 album, Magnetic. This song is called Rebel Beat. We keep heading in the same direction. You become my own reflection. Is that your soul that you're trying to protect? I always hoped that we would intersect, yeah. You need time to cope and time to heal. Time to thrive, it's what you feel. Oh, life can hurt when it gets too real. I can hold you up when it's hard to deal. Alive, alive, alive is all I wanna feel tonight, tonight. I need to be where you are. I need to be where you are. Hey! Okay, so this song, there's not a whole lot to add to it. It's a very catchy, it's a very kind of uh, electro, you know, drum machine oriented kind of pop song. We've talked a little bit about so far about how they, you know, their transition to being a pop band from a punk band kind of led the first drummer out of the band. They played with Mike Malinan for 
20 something years, I think. And he recently departed the band just like within the last two years, I want to say he left and it wasn't on good terms. So I'm not even going to get into all the details of that, but this song, the reason I mentioned that is because this song is heavily, this is total electronica. This song is a electric drum track and Johnny playing acoustic guitar and a keyboard over it and stuff. But, the cool thing about the song was this is they they entered into a new area with because I've still unlike you I've still bought all or not bought but I've streamed all of the Goo Goo Dolls recent albums and they're not great they're they're not a whole lot of memorable songs but they are memorable albums but they still have songs they still know how to write a freaking hit and they have a lot of songs that you listen to and you're like oh my god that's a great single and so there's still a couple songs off every album but they've gravitated into a sound their 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 current streak since 2013 on to 2020 they're doing a lot of things with like these big epic kind of anthemic choruses mm. which are like like and I've seen them. I've seen them live in the last three years twice. I saw them in two thousand, I think seventeen and two thousand eighteen live, and they're very much now up like the like every the crowd sings the chorus kind of thing. But the cool thing was, you know, for for an, a set list that was almost entirely based on you know their hits from the nineties and everything, this song was huge when it came out in 2013 and at this point these these guys are probably approaching 50 mm-hmm. you know so it's i loved the fact that they could still write an amazing catchy pop rock hit and it's got a great sing-along chorus and i even dug a little deeper into this right before we did this podcast i, I wikipedia the song just to find out if there's anything i didn't know and Johnny said he was inspired by walking around in Little Italy in the summer in New York City, taking a walk. And he saw a summer block party and a bunch of people laughing, dancing and singing. And it made him think like, oh, wow, you know, like how great would it be to just live in the moment and like live in, you know, dance like it's every night's a summer party kind of thing. And that's kind of what the song's about. So it's ridiculously simple. It doesn't have any overarching, amazing, like, you know, theme. It's it's. We've talked a lot about where they've gone since they kind of broke through and Johnny's ability to reconcile with being a pop singer, a pop, a pop songwriter. And this song perfectly encapsulates that. But when I hear this, every time I hear it, like I couldn't, if this was on the radio, I couldn't turn it off. I'd be like, oh my God, I want to sing it. I want to <laughs> sing the chorus. And that's where I'm at with this. I don't love this one. Um it's just it's one of those that doesn't connect with me as much i just think this one it's a little bit too far pop too overproduced um now again this is a a, a per, this is not me criticizing them because everything that you say like is right on i think this is them kind of embracing the summer party anthem hit Type of thing, mm-hmm. yeah, um, sure. and it, to me, like when I when I, I when I when you put this on your list, I listened to it and I was like, "This feels like he's doing a Miley Cyrus or a Katy Perry type of song." <laughs> um, and Fair it kind enough. of it kind of reminded me. Yeah, it kind of reminded me like seven, eight years ago or something. Weezer had that song "Beverly Hills." Um, oh, which I could never tell if that <laughs> was just... I could never tell if that was being tongue in cheek or if they just started doing like these teeny pop party anthems. Um, I get it. I get what they're trying to do, and he's being—he's doing it very well. Like he's—he's he's playing in their lane, sure, and he's making a good-sounding hit. It's—it's. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think he's pulling it off and doing it successfully for a group that has been together now for 
30 years, uh, got, you know, in their 50s or whatever. I think it's, they're doing it really well. This just isn't a song that I'm going to play again. It's just, yeah. I got you. Okay, let me let me just put it into context. So you and and by the way, you're completely. You know, you don't have to apologize to me for not agreeing with me. That's that's totally fine. But here's no, I'm apologizing here's what, to Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus just on the off chance that they're listening. All right, fine, <laughs> fair enough. That make that makes sense. Um, but here's uh, just to put it in context. Here's where I'm at with the song. So I saw them in 2018 at the Hollywood Bowl in the summer just a couple of years ago and the crowd entirely the entire crowd was made up of people our age and their kids that they brought their kids it was a very <laughs> family friendly show and this song was towards the end of the set i don't think it was the last song before the encore but it was towards the end of the set and what i loved about this moment was all the old people meaning 30 plus and up sang all the songs from the 90s and the kids were like bored out of their freaking minds <laughs> and then all of a sudden this song comes on and none of the people over 30 knew the song <laughs> and all of the kids loved it and sang out loud and so what i appreciated at that moment was yeah this is as generic as they come in terms of pop hits like this is seriously as generic as they come this could have been written for a freaking commercial mm-hmm. but but I'm like, this shows the broad sensibilities of the band being able to still write a pop hit 30 years after they broke out. Sure. And yeah, yeah. that's, you know, I, I give them credit for that. So, Absolutely. I, you know, I, yeah, yeah. So I just saw that and I loved it. I loved, like, I don't think I watched the band during this song live. I literally watched the crowd and I was like, oh my God, all the kids love this. <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. This would, I mean, this would be a song that they could do with the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like that. That would be that. And, and again, like I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. And and for the certain, like absolutely, if if they can still make a a song that appeals to that generation, ah, go fucking go oh, sure, for it. Sure, yeah. sure. And I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not even. You know, I'm not even saying this is one of my favorite Goo Goo Doll songs. I mean, the context. The you know, it, to put it in the context of what we're doing on this podcast is this is a song that I just hope people will listen to and recognize. This is a band in 2013 that's still cranking out hits. That you know. It, Right, when their right. break, when their big break was ninety five, kind of thing. So you know, I, I I just want you know I want to you know put it in the context and let people recognize that you know whether you like it or not, you know you could you could disagree with the song and be like, oh my god, I hate that song. It's so commercial. But then again, there's people that are going to listen to it and be like, oh my god, I love that song. It's so commercial. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Let's segue to one of those songs that the people under twenty would hate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is the song Hate This Place.
this is the final track from the 1998 album Dizzy Up the Girl, which we have talked about. And this is my favorite Goo Goo Dolls song. Wow. It's really. Yeah. And, and again, like we, we've kind of danced around it, but like this album, aside from having monster hits, it had a bunch of singles. We're going to talk about them, like from, from Iris, which was already a hit before the album. But then we'll talk about the next one, Black Balloon, but Sly, Broadway, a bunch of stuff on this. This was just an album where, like, when I played it for you and you listened to it, like, back in 1998, you were like, wow, yeah. every one of these songs is really good. I think Including it's just, the last one. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a great pop rock album. And this one is the culmination. This is the last song on it, and it's it hits me a little bit because it's it is more guitar driven, um, and it's it feels like um, is it we're like coming back up for air or something like that. Um, and, and actually, it's it's more than the guitars though. What I really love about this song, it's Mike Malinan's drums. Yeah, I think the yeah. percussion and the that that beat that he lays down, it's so driving and upfront. But it's not like a hard rock headbanger or something like that. It's still, it has their touch, but it just, it just, it, it amps me up a little bit. And I just, like, I, there's so many times when I'm listening to this that I find myself air drumming. And it's just like that. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Um, and, and I love Johnny's, the voice and the way he, like, he shouts towards the end and, and the way it fades out and everything as it, his voice kind of fades away at the end of the last course when the guitar just kind of cuts loose, yeah. uh, and, and brings out this little, like sound and it's yeah I, I don't know again it's just as soon as I heard this one as like the capper to this album I was like this is a great listening experience I was like, from start to finish I was like this is a great album and I love this damn song yeah the only thing I'm going to add to this the last thing I'm going to add is is I this is this song I don't think it left quite an impression on me when I saw it when, when I first heard it in 98 and then I saw them do a concert and close the show with this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God. Yes, of course. That's how you end a show. It was <laughs> like, it was a perfect closer. So it's no surprise to me that ends an album. And now I have a, you know, it, I had a greater appreciation of it afterwards. All right. So what is your last song for the list? Okay. Well, yeah, I touched on the fact that naked was my second favorite Google doll song of all time. And so now I've got to close with my favorite of all time and it is from one of the many many hits from Dizzy Up the Girl this song is Black Balloon Baby's Black Balloon makes a fly Almost fell into that hole in your life You're not thinking about tomorrow Cause you were the same as me This song, 
I I could do a whole podcast on this song alone, and I'm not going to. But it, it was another song with an alternate tuning. You know, Johnny was playing around with all kinds of different things to make his guitar playing sound better, so he could play chords while still strumming uh, bass notes and doing solos and stuff. So this was like a D tune to a D flat fifth open tuning or something. Johnny's talked about this song on uh, lyrically. The, the weird thing about the song was it was a it was a commercial hit. It was a, it was a successful song, um, a pop hit, and not many people got it. Not many people <laughs> got like what the the darkness of this song. Yeah, yeah. Um, Johnny said on VH1 Storytellers that the song is about uh, a friend of his. He didn't mention who, who was struggling with heroin addiction, hence the black balloon, because heroin's delivered in balloons for those of us that are heroin addicts. Um, <laughs> um, and he wrote it watching a close friend go through this and knowing that there's nothing he can do to help you, you know, whatever, etc. Years later. I only recently found out, I would say within the last five years, maybe that Robbie's the bass player, Robbie, his, his wife OD'd on heroin. And this song was actually about her. And he has always been reluctant to say anything about this. And as a matter of fact, I went by, I went back and watched the VH1 storytellers where Johnny Resnick talks about this song and Robbie is noticeably silent during the whole conversation. He doesn't smile, doesn't frown, doesn't make a face. He's like stone faced, poker faced. And it makes me think that there's probably something to it. Like it could be about her. I don't know, but that's very interesting. But regardless, this is a very powerful song. And they had, they had, by, by the way, the Google dolls had this knack for like infusing pop melodies and pop sensibilities with dark subject matter, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, people don't, you know, one of the hits we didn't talk about was Slide. Slide, you know, everybody was like, oh, my God, we love the song Slide. That's such a pop hit. That's a song about, like, a couple that gets pregnant by accident, and they don't know whether to abort it or get married. <laughs> that's what the song's about. And, and nobody gets it. People are like, ah, Slide. I thought that's what yeah. Let Love In was about, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so anyway, so the thing of Black Balloon, first of all, this is the reason I wanted to close the show. Is this is because melodically, lyrically, chord structure, musicianship all come to a singular head. And this was, you know, maybe what they what they started off on this new tangent with name. I feel like came to a complete complete apex with this song. I love Black Balloon, and I love it. Because it just moves me in a way that every time I listen to it, I hear something new. It's powerful. It's emotional. It's catchy. It's all these things. And I just, I this, I had to close with this song. And I'm glad you did because I love this song too. Um, this is in my top three songs <laughs> for for <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls after Hate This Place and and Acoustic Three. Um, and I remember at the time, like getting because this was one of this might have been the last. No, I think Broadway was the last single from the album. Um, but this one was like one of the later singles. Uh, so the album had been out for a while, and I'd heard this song a bunch before it became a single. And I remember at the time thinking, "Wow, they put Iris on this album 
to to help give it this this boost and like kind of carry sure. it because of it was already this thing. I was like, I don't think they needed Iris on this album. <laughs> I was like, this song does the same thing that Iris does, but better. Oh man, um, yeah. And, and this does. I mean, if you listen to them, this sounds. They, this is similar. You could call this one of the clones of Iris um, that has a right. lot of the, the similarities. But between the darker subject matter and just melodically, I I think this is this is an improvement. I think this is a better song. Um, and yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like, yeah, this one, this one is, you know, fights for the second spot with me for uh, favorite song too. So, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I even love, like, you know, going back, we kind of talked about this earlier with, like, you know, that absence, that that gap in production between um, a boy named Goo and Dizzy Up the Girl. You know, Johnny had writer's block. Robbie has talked publicly about like, you know, when Johnny thinks he has writer's block, he's still writing a ton of music. He just thinks they all suck. That's, that's the difference. He's like, he doesn't sit there. He's, he's not like, I you know, like we, you and I have a tendency to think of writer's block, meaning like, you're like the night was, and you can't get any farther than that. You know, whereas he was saying, you know, Robbie has said that no, when Johnny had writer's block, he brought black balloon, and and dizzy and 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 you know some of these songs to the band and and but just said like oh they're all terrible they're rubbish you know is what mm-hmm. he said he was like no and then they ended up becoming great hits so he was he struggled he struggled from a different type of writer's block than you and i would <laughs> moist the night was moist. <laughs> moist the night was moist no that's humid <laughs> it's hot and wet <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, those are those are the main list. But um, I, I mean, we could talk about other songs. Some of them, but we've already mentioned. I could talk about you know, slide and um, all eyes on me is another great one from yeah, uh, yeah, from sure, sure. Dizzy. That and I, really I also like. want to. Yeah, I also want to like for the listeners that are still with us right now. I want to point out that they, you know, I mentioned this before. The Goo Goo Dolls are still cranking out albums, and they're still cranking out hits. Now, the quality of their work, album wise, is not what it once was. Maybe it's not as relevant. You know, there's a lot of songs I listen to now by them that are, they're just, they're just not important, but they can still bang out a good pop hit. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people to check out, if you're listening, check out their songs, Boxes, over and over, Indestructible, or Johnny's solo hit from a movie called Treasure Planet. He had a solo song called I'm Still Here, which is one of my favorite songs under the Goo Goo Dolls umbrella, I just didn't include it, include it in this because it's a Johnny solo song. You know, I, I just listened to that before because you, you pointed it out to me, and I had never heard it before. But I just listened to it. I don't know why it's not a Goo Goo Dolls song. Like I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't pr- presumably Robbie wasn't involved, but I was like, this, like if you played that for me and didn't tell me, I was like, oh, it's Johnny Resnick. It's a Goo Goo Dolls song. Like I would, totally. Like, oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. Any other things about? I mean, just before we go, I, I mean, I feel like from my end, I do have to mention um, that y- you will know in the round would, would have been ninety six, ninety seven. I wrote a song for you called Dizzy. Um, yes, and, I did. and then finding out that you know, Goo Goo Dolls, you know, had their own song called Dizzy, and eh, I mean, no, it's, it's for it's for history to determine who which song was better, but you know. Mine. Well, obviously, history has already kind of answered that question because the Goo Goo Dolls did release a video for the song Dizzy from Dizzy Up the Girl, and nobody remembers it. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I released a song for the I, I released a video for the song Dizzy, which you co-wrote with me, and I think a lot of people remember. So I'm just so going with it. 
<laughs> yeah. Plus, you know, I, I also want to point out, you know, I've seen I've seen the Google Dolls a number of times. I've seen them in the 90s. I've seen them in the 2000s. I've seen them in the 2010s. And they're, you know, it's it's a good show. You know, they play the hits. They write a lot of pop songs and it's 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 a good live show you know the musicianship is there it, the funny thing is robbie talks more on stage than johnny does which is really really kind of weird <laughs> you know considering and we've you know we've kind of we've alluded to this a little bit at the beginning but robbie was the front man of the band for a long time and he's a very much an extrovert he's got that personality that you feel like deserves to be on stage it kind of makes me wonder like how he adapted to the years of johnny becoming the front man yeah you know it like you know i mean obviously he recognized what was good for the band right right. but you know that probably wasn't an easy pill to swallow yeah but uh i guess you know all that money coming in (laughs) that might might have made it easy (laughs) <laughs> That'll do it, yeah. And you, of course, you, you remember the story about when I met Johnny, right? Uh, when you tried to sell him cocaine? Well, <laughs> okay, hold it. That's a common misnomer, and I'm <laughs> sick of people making that assumption. No, he thought I was his drug dealer. All right, let me, okay. Johnny Resnick was at the Beverly Center. We were both trying on jeans in the diesel store. And I was, you know, I was with my ex at the time who was like, oh, my God, Johnny Resnick's trying on jeans. Go go in the dressing room and try and try and jeans. I was like, OK. So I wasn't really interested in diesel jeans. Let the record show. I did not wear and I have not bought diesel jeans. OK, but I went into the diesel store to try on jeans because Johnny Resnick was trying on jeans. And my girlfriend at the time wanted me to, wanted me to meet him. So. Anyway, we come out. At one point, we step out. I said hi to him, asked him what's next. He said, give a little bit, which I didn't realize at the time was the name of the next single. They were doing a Super Tramp single. (laughs) Um, The song was called Give a Little Bit. I was like, whoa, okay. We're both standing here in the back room of a store with no pants on. And he's like, give a little bit. And I'm like, whoa, this is weird. Long story short. I thought he wanted something from me and it was weird and blah, blah, blah. So the, you know, the, the rest of the story kind of, you know, the story, I mean, the rest of it involves kind of like a naked fight, like Eastern promises and, and then me being arrested for selling cocaine out of the diesel store. Later on, I found out that Johnny was tapped to be a narc because of a plea deal to try and find his cocaine dealer and blah, blah, blah. And, and they thought he was supposed to meet him there. And I was just happened to be there, but I was not the guy. And so on and on and that. So I, you know, I mean, people have heard the story a thousand times. I'm not going to get too much into it, but you know, I've seen Google dolls a number of times since then. I just have to stay 200 feet away. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, listeners check out their their cover (laughs) of give a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Move yourself Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Fire and Water Records can also be found on Spotify. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. 
If you like this show but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to Apple Music or Apple Podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening.